0: Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of Road Pill University. I'm Mike. With me, I have Joe, and uh, we're very fortunate to have one of the senior endorsed contributors, the, the court jester himself, uh, the one, the only, Gay Lou Boyle. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. Well,
1: thanks yeah, for being thanks. on. Uh, really appreciate it, man. So, I guess the first thing I got to cover is a little bit of the background. Like, for one, okay. the name. Everybody wants to know about the name. How did you arrive at that name? Okay. So
2: there's two, there's two issues, right? The first one is when you look at the manosphere, people try and claim authority through the name. Right. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted a name to bother people with. Uh, the second one was people were smuggling steroids into Australia as gay lu oil. And I thought that's funny that,
0: <laughs> that is hilarious.
2: You, know, you know, if you want to bring steroids over, you know, you know, under the guise of sodomy, like, you know, I guess sodomy is okay, but being more masculine isn't. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was funny. Um, but, um, you know, really a lot of people will try and, uh, come across as someone really important through the username. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted my text to do the work.
1: Hmm. So speaking of, uh, your time on the internet and how you kind of arrived at this community, like what was your, the moment or the experience, that made you want to seek it out or fall into this kind of uh, the, the sphere as we call it, the manosphere. writing.
2: Okay. So, um, you know, both my grand grandfathers wrote books. I always wanted to write.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, and then I was in law school and um, I wanted to do some kind of creative writing. And then I saw the manosphere wide open as an opportunity to write. So um I know I, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to add humor um, and my own unique writing style, but also to develop myself as a writer. Uh, at some point I want to write a book, but um, you know, I thought the Red Book would be a great opportunity to practice writing. And so I, I used it as an intellectual exercise. And then um, as time went on, um, I would try and outright the other guys there. And if you look through my post history, I think my writing has really improved over
0: six years. So, yeah. Kind of like an how insight. would you describe? How would you describe how your writing styles evolved on TRP? Well, okay. So,
2: you know, for me, the main thing is the audience is young, right? And I never understood why everyone is so serious. So, I wanted to write with as much humor as possible. Um, then, so so there was that. Um, The next issue was around 2014 to 2015, we we got the ire of the blue pill and kind of like the professional aggrieved class. And so it became a question of how could I write in the most offensive way possible? (laughs) So so there's this article I wrote and it was called how to slide your white meat into Asian girls. (laughs) I read that you know so i you know i grew up in california and uh university of california is predominantly asian and so that's, the majority of women have been with our asian for that reason mm-hmm. um and so i wanted to write about that experience i think that's a reasonable thing to write about um and so when you start mentioning race and you say things like china vagina you know you make those rhymes you get a lot of attention and so um uh, there's this, uh, I guess, young woman. Her name is Simian Ying. Uh, she she did a feminist performance about my article, um, and oh, you can look no that kidding. up. So that's, yeah, hmm. um, yeah. She she did a performance. It's called "I Love White Men," and then how gotcha. her having sex with white men was uh, a symptom of her oppression.
0: That was the thesis. oh, that whole take yeah. on it. Well, let me get, let me get back to you something you said in terms of being provocative so the, your writing style is not provocative for provocative sake. It is drawing attention. Well, there's
2: two things, right? So, you know, my first language is Russian, right? So um, there's a certain kind of phrasing in Russian. That's normal for a Russian speaker, but when you translate that into English language, um, it's, it's novel and Russians are, are pretty blunt with their language. So there's that aspect, like a cultural aspect. Um, But yeah, I guess. I love that. Yeah. Um,
1: Okay. Speaking of the writings. So Mm -hmm. you've been something of a open critic of Rolo. uh, But so let's just just say, let's attack this from uh, the angle of what are a few things that he gets right? What are some things that you think he gets absolutely wrong? And then what are some things that you would like to kind of piggyback on?
2: Okay, well, you know I've had friction with Rolo. I think the reason why the Rolo doesn't write on the
1: red pill is because of me.
2: Um, I think I bullied mm. him off of the red pill. Um, but you know, if I think where we'll give him credit is, you know, he's an innovator. Um, he he wrote uh, the rational male what in two thousand ten, right? So he's first through the gate, um, and he described that male experience. So I think you know any kind of any kind of person who does something first, any innovator, you know, we should give him credit for, you know, regardless Mm -hmm. of who he is as a person or any of his business dealings or anything like that. So I want to give him credit there, despite, um, you know, the tremendous amount of friction that I gave him. And
0: uh, yeah. I think that's um, what's interesting about a lot of your writings actually is a lot of, a lot of people, when they read them on TRP, they can't separate out the person that's behind it and, you know, Fair enough. That, you know we're anonymous on the internet for the most part, or, or you are, right? Me and Joe's got our big stupid face out there, but uh, I, I think a lot of people can't separate out the writing and the ideas from this this provocative personality. Um, I, I'd be interested yeah. in your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I mean, I consider myself a cultural outsider, right? So I'm an ethnic Russian. Um, you know, my grandfather was at Stalin's funeral, um, and so you know, I'm not an American. You know, I know I, sp- I speak in American English, but I think culturally, I'm to the far right of what most Americans think is acceptable, um, and so so there's that. And then I think my writing is a lot more blunt, but that that's not you know that, that is typical of a Russian speaker and it's typical of Eastern Europeans. So um, so um, you know a lot of my clients are Eastern Europeans for that reason. Oh, gotcha. So right. so despite my perfect English. Uh, you know, culturally, I'm a Russian. Mm-hmm. I think that, that's probably what it does it.
1: Hmm. Uh, so we kind of talked a little bit about uh, what he did right. What are some things that you think he's done wrong, or to well, so, okay, use so, improving, improving?
2: Well, so I think I, I know how much uh, is of his personal life is public. I mean, he's an alcohol distributor by trade, um, and. I'm sure he hangs out around those environments extensively, but then he'll extrapolate those bar women out to all women. And he's fond of saying all women are like that, which, you know, listen, you know, there's more racial difference than there is gender difference. You know, you have more in common with a woman of your race than you have with a man of a different race. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't want to go down that route too far, but, but what I'll say is, you know, when you date women of different races, they're demonstrably different, um, you know. So. Uh, oh, yeah, arguably, arguably. So, and then, you know, also the, the social consequences that you're going to face, you know, dating outside of your race as opposed to dating within your race or close enough within your race. And that's going to affect things, right? But so, so there's this false universalism, which I don't think is healthy. Um, and then the other thing is. You know, if if you're a rural guy, you know, compared to a more urban guy, um, you know, there's an issue there too. And then the next thing is the sexual marketplace moves very quickly, right? We can talk about the sexual marketplace of 2010, which is peak Tinder, right? We can talk about the PUA game of what, you know, 2005. And then we can look at this uh, healthscape that is 2020, where everyone wears a mask. And dresses, <laughs> right? Um, and one of the issues of the red pill is they're going to uh, make this
0: false equivalency between you know those different decades, right? I find that really interesting. And so because there's this, uh, you know, false universalism and there's always going to be debate on you know trading notes of what works and what doesn't, different groups are coming from, you know, a, a lot of different angles as far as what practically works uh, and, and the best ideas went out. So with that in mind, how do you see... The community kind of moving forward, uh, and and being somebody that's a, a you know big voice in the community. How do you see that moving forward, in terms of what's going to be best for you know the think tank that is TRP? so okay,
2: so there's uh, there's this book that it's a to read um, It's called anti oedipus and so the issue is the way a person's mind is structured is structured by the society they're in, right? So if you look at a millennial, they're a narcissist, right? Um, You know, they're, they're obsessed with their own image. Uh, If you look at like, I I don't know, the boomers or the the pre boomers, right? They're going to be neurotic, right? Like everything has to be done in a certain way. But when you look at Gen Z, they're going to be schizophrenic or slash autistic, right? Like, I feel like a lot of them don't have a strong sense of gender, you know, so... Um, they Um it's probably gender- by design right so if In you're on your ways. phone all the time and you relate to technology more than people then your sense of gender starts slipping mm. right and uh, I, I think there's a big difference between Gen Z women you know these 18 19 year olds and then millennial women you know it's a digital native versus what a digital immigrant so um you can you can sense it on uh, Ask TRP though, like you you can, and I'm sure you know in your Discord who's Gen Z and who isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Gen Z being, you know, if you speak to like a Greek Gen Z, you know, then whatever. But if he is in a major uh, city, right, like a New York Gen Z, he's going to be completely skizzed. Um, <laughs> he, basically, like what's the easiest way of describing this? Like they don't have clear structures. Um, the Deleuzian word is body without organs. Effectively, there's a passive person who has no identity and who gains identity when he comes into contact with other things. Right? So he, they don't have a fixed identity. If you want to see this, look at uh, Greta Thunberg mm. or, uh, you know, B- Billy Eilish. Billy Eilish is almost agender, right? She mm. dresses like a man. Oh, androgynous,
1: yeah,
2: right. So, mm-hmm. so that's why when you look on AskCRP, they don't, they don't know what masculinity means. Like in the same way that, you know, a lot of people don't have a strong uh, conception of religion, or you can't make a religious argument. You know, do this or God will, you know, look down upon you. Right, like mm-hmm. maybe our great grandparents would go for that. Right. But mm-hmm. with Gen Z, you can't like masculinity shame them. You can't be like, you're not a real man if you don't lift weights. Well, they have no concept of gender. Um, so, so now, how, how
1: much do you the, think this is impacted by the, uh, the critically lowering rates of testosterone through the generations as it butts up against uh, identity politics in school where we're browbeating boys for being boys? Christine Hofsummers wrote a really good book about this years ago called The War Against Boys where she first identified this in like the late nineties.
2: I mean, I just, I just take a hard Marx position, right? Like, don't, I don't ascribe any morals to it. Just say that the kind of labor that a person performs conditions them. Right. Mm. So these zoom calls are going to feel dysphoric, right? The person becomes dysphoric. Um, or, so I, I think that's, I, I wouldn't look at a cultural explanation. I'd look at an, at an economic, explanation and the type of labor that this person performs because the type of labor is going to influence the incentive structure that this person is in. to give you a counter example, right? If you look at our great grandparents, they're very neurotic because they worked in factories and in a factory, everything has to be precise, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Fair. So your subjectivity is is labor-induced. Not not only did they have to be precise, but there were always consequences for things going wrong in a factory and industrial setting always Right, and i I think their predisposition with that kind of informed that generation a lot of ways but uh but not to not to dive really really deeply into that so i what i'd be really interested to understand is uh a a lot i had this philosophy that a lot of guys come to the red pill and they seek clarity and catharsis and they but most of all what they want is the freedom you know to be able to do the things that they want to do in their life and so how do you see that coming together with like you like you said you know millennials and gen z people that are finding trp for the first time uh and don't have a real great sense of their own identity i mean we're in a really dangerous spot right now
2: you know like i don't think you know i I know people will say that to be dramatic but you're gonna have this great reset right around the corner i mean they're gonna try and get everyone to eat their bug burgers um you know effectively the the, I, I guess Gen Z doesn't have as much social shaming as I did, you know, when I, when I went to college 10 years ago, you know, when you go to college and you're not getting girls and everyone else's, there's that shame and that guilt and you feel like less of a man, right? But if you're behind that zoom screen, you don't feel that incentive to improve, right? If you go to a gym and you're the weakest guy there, right? So because they're going to be pulled out of that social sphere, um, they're, they're not going to be incentivized to, you know, become more masculine or uh, get better at, at their competencies. So, you know, perhaps mm. the best thing that the manosphere can do for them is create that kind of shaming, that bullying mm. so that they feel bad at the, about themselves and that they will uh, have in, an incentive to progress.
1: And that's where we come yeah, in peer with pressure, the, pressure.
0: Yeah.
1: Peer, peer pressure, pressure, accountability.
0: Self-improvement.
1: Yeah. 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 We, that's one of the core- uh, core values of our private community is the brotherhood, the self-improvement, the, just uh, the, shame each other into being better essentially <laughs> a little bit of that. Yeah. We, there's a lot of play, yeah. uh, you know, the, the ribbing that we used to get back in the day that kids just don't get nowadays. Uh, now that would be considered bullying when really, oh, that's, that's just so an fast integral fast. part of masculinity is that where women will often, uh, play it being nice with one another when really that's their way of sticking the knife and twisting it. Whereas conversely, guys do that. That's their way of bonding. So there's this, this different, the way the genders approach this playful ribbing. And guys are missing out on this. I think it goes back to, like I said before, the cultural changes where when guys do this, because academia for in a large part is ran by women. So they see it from a woman's perspective. And to them, that's, whoa, you can't be doing that. That's that's You're going to hurt their self-esteem. But for guys, that's how they grow. That's how they bond. That's how they build those, uh, those foundational relationships, especially in their formative years. Guys have to be able to uh, take it and, and become witty to develop themselves in these perspective from this angle. Otherwise, they're going to be so far behind. This is where you get a lot of these kids. Just, they're missing out on these lessons. And like you were saying, there's a cultural divide between uh, Gen Z and these younger millennials versus older millennials, Gen X and boomers and so on and so forth. There's this clear delineation that we're seeing, culturally, in how these people are, are treated, and what is expected of them. That's one of the things I'm seeing right now. I mean, I, yeah.
2: I, I think you need to have like a more hardline position on, you know, the education system, right? So there's mm-hmm. this guy Louis Althusser, um, and I think he wrote a book. It's <laughs> called "Reproduction of Capitalism," right? And so the idea is that there is an ideological state apparatus there's a coercive state apparatus, right? A coercive state apparatus is the police and the military. So if you disagree with your government, they're going to shoot you or beat you. But an ideological state apparatus imposes the values of the dominant society. And so the whole point of the media and the education system is to push those values, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at these Pearson textbooks or McGraw-Hill textbooks, right, we can blame the teachers, but I mean, they're complicit, but it's It goes all the way up and so effectively they're trying to create a new workforce Mm.
0: with those values it's interesting you tie everything back to to economics and a lot of your recent posts essentially the the thesis of, of some of them is you know make all your money or if you haven't made all your money find a way to make it and go to a country where women are are still you know the espousing the kind of qualities that that men look for for the most part
1: and I, as we did our pre-show prep, that was one of the things we wanted to talk about was this, the the exit and what you would recommend for guys to get away from that kind of cultural, uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit more? Okay, so I, I think one of the issues, you know, you know, Americans have this rugged
2: individualism, right, where they're going to mm. you know, move across manifest destiny where a coon hat, right? They're not used to really seeing society in its totality. And I would really encourage you guys to do that. You know, if, Okay, let's say you're in a marriage, right? You know, there's a husband and a wife, but the wife is also beholden to the boss, right? And so that boss takes her best labor. So you know, if your boss, if your wife's boss yells at the wife, right, he can actually steal your time, right, as an externality, right? So he can yell at your wife, right, and then she'll complain for two hours, and now he took two hours of your time, so. I guess the big picture is if you're in a negative society you know in california where uh homeless people are jerking themselves off and injecting heroin uh under an underpass right or you have a negative mm. work environment or you have this um, cancerous media you know you're not it's like you're a fish in polluted water are you strong enough to overcome you know that pollution you know, my position is no one is so just leave you know mm. uh, figure out location independent income and leave Um, you know, I'm in Croatia right now. Uh, I haven't seen any fat people yet. Uh, all the women are beautiful, you know, and you know, people are having children early. It's a much healthier society. And, uh, when the society is healthier, the people don't look grotesque like they do in the United States, especially in let's say Los Angeles or San Francisco.
1: I'll definitely vouch for that. I've been to Croatia. I've been to Romania. I've been to Latvia. I've been all over. Mm -hmm. And we were there for in 2003 for a couple of months, uh, prior to going into iraq and we had a bunch of our maintainers who stayed at the hotel in romania ended up marrying all the girls that worked there that were under 25 so yeah. every last one of them they all got married to our maintainers and the guys were i mean i don't blame them they were all hot if you brought those girls back to the u.s they would all look like they walked off the pages of playboy all
0: hot yes same even you know i've been to croatia and it's it, it's exactly that i even bulgaria the the mm-hmm. poorest country in the the eu these people aren't plagued with the sort of kind of existential dread or the really lack of self-identity that, that we are in a big way uh, here in the United States, for sure. I mean, you know, what I'll say is if you look, okay, like if you look at affirmative
2: action, right? Or if you look at hiring programs, I mean, you know, I, I think it's very clear that the ruling elite hates our uh, demographic, right? Mm. So why are we staying and why are we giving them tax money? You know, why are we feeding this? You know, so I think we should leave. You know, there's this guy, a nomad capitalist. and He says, go where you're treated best. You know, you can live a higher quality of life uh, in Europe. Um, you know, I'm in an, an apartment. I pay $1,000 a month for a two-bedroom overlooking the beach. You know, that's that's half of what I pay in California. So uh, I'm telling all my guys oh, yeah. to leave. Yeah. So they don't where, want you- where
1: would you, so you're in, um, I know where you're at right now. But yeah. where else would you recommend, especially for guys I mean, that I, don't know the language? Well, first of all, mm-hmm. in
2: Croatia, you can get by in English. Everyone speaks English. Okay. Um, and then, I think most Europeans more or less speak English. Um, I haven't traveled that extensively, and so I'm in that process right now. I would say, one, figure out figure out your monetary situation, then start traveling, and then um, and then when you're ready to set up roots, I think you will. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: So what's your opinion on, uh, what's his name? Captain Capitalism, uh, Aaron Clary. So he's kind of professing a lot of what you do, but he's also um, got a lot of overlap with Rolo. So I'm just kind of curious what your perspective is on guys like him. He's good friends with Rolo. And I think um,
2: I like like that his economics, Mm -hmm. you know, so one of my problems with Rolo is you read through the whole book, you're like, where's the economics, right? Like the most important aspect of a sociological analysis is economics. We're like, where is it? Where's it in the book, right? But so, if you look at Captain Captain Capitalism, you know he he has that aspect covered. Um, and uh, I, I've watched a little bit of him. He's an outgoing guy, um, but the one of his issues is you know he'll universalize women. He'll say all um, you know all women, you know, are a certain way, but you know that's just women in a late capitalist society where. They're uh, taught to, uh, I don't know, uh, treat their husbands like a, like a John. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think good women exist. Uh, they're just not liberal. And, you know, <laughs> that's um, fair. I mean, the women are still women, you know, they'll still, there will still be friction, but you're not going to get, let's say the pro trans
1: propaganda or, you know, some, of, some of these new symptoms. But you gotta be careful too, because then you've got the uh, what do they call them now? The uh, the conserva thoughts. So that's a whole other well, well, can of worms so, right so, there. You know, in America, you know,
2: people like to wear their football jerseys and you know mm-hmm. t- take on identities, right? But you know, if you if you set up roots in Bulgaria, I don't think she's faking it. I think she's just Bulgarian.
1: That's right? that's fair. Yeah, I think what I'm talking about more is going to be relevant to the West. Women that you're going to see in the yeah. states where. Part of it is going to be culture. Part of it's going to be upbringing. Part of it is also uh, bandwagon jumping. You go, back, you go back in time a little bit with like gamers or D&D or video games. Uh, way back, 20, 30 years ago, it was very niche. It was really nerdy, it was viewed as nerdy, and women rejected men who were into those things. Fast forward 20, 30 years, it became more mainstream. And then they kind of just like, as soon as it became cool, one or two people may have made it cool. Boom. Women flocked to it. Yeah, as soon
0: as Chris Hemsworth dressed up as Thor, it was over. It was over for football players.
1: So you get what I'm getting at. As soon as it becomes safe, women will plow into it, no pun intended. And then they kind of like, ban- they jump on the bandwagon. We've seen this time and time and time again, uh, throughout different uh, industries, niche markets, uh, careers, so, I mean, and pretty much every you know, time that women do this, we've seen it also from an economic standpoint, the prestige goes down. I mean, you know,
2: American women are the drivers of the economy, right? They're these consumers and they're, they're mm-hmm. raised to be these consumers. And so, you know, one of the things that I thought about is like, you know, I, I personally don't believe in female agency. Like, I, I really don't think they have any agency. I, I think they, they're just completely externally motivated, right? And so if we go back to 2000, Hmm. yeah, like, so um, I'm a huge fan of Lacan and Lacan will say, uh, women don't exist. You know, women are a symptom of whatever society they're in. They like, they have no positive uh, existence. So
1: that would explain war
2: brides. We we can argue war brides, but I I would just say, okay, like, let's say if you go back to 2003, there was Hot Topic, right? And there was Abercrombie and Fitch and they had kind of two antagonistic themes to each other, right? Like mm-hmm. okay. hot topic was uh, was the an- antithesis, right? And then they would get their ethic from those stores. Like those stores were basically a temple of worship and they informed a sexual ethic. So, you know, if you surfed and the girl wore those low cut uh, Abercrombie jeans with a thong hanging out, you know, should suck you off in your uh, pickup truck with the surfboard in the back, right? Whereas the, the methodology for Hot Topic was, uh, right. you know, I wasn't, so I don't know. But um, yep. as the stores change, the girls change. You know, I, I just think where, where are all the Abercrombie girls? Well, they found a new store, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, one of the things that I'm curious about mm-hmm. is, okay, so now all these malls closed, right? Mm-hmm. So, so where is female culture going to be
0: informed by? you know, uh, it's largely turned to social media. And so I think even if you go back to the 60s, you know, every woman in terms of style culturally was either Jackie O or Marilyn Monroe. That was the two archetypes. Um, and, and, you know, probably, you know, smaller ones off of that, but culturally in the United States, that was it. And so we talk a lot about, you know, women fill the shape of the container you're in. And and largely we mean that in terms of the, the man that they're with, right? In terms of a romantic partnership, but you've taken that a, a large step further in saying they're a result of an economic system and uh, the result of kind of uh, you know, and then they're a work. cultural structure. Yeah, cultural, ethical, and economic structure.
1: It's a blend of both, really. When you take a step back, women in relationships absolutely fill the, uh, the cup, so to speak. And then also, the same thing is true of culture in general. Women in the US are kind of goes back to what I was saying before with the bandwagon jumping kind of effect really it's what we were just saying it's them filling the cup the shape of the cup based on the culture that they're shaped by and i think men are are susceptible to this as well this isn't just a gender thing but i think women are more likely to do this if you think about it in terms of the bell curve of distribution of probability we're going to see more women doing this than men um just because i think think it comes down to how we're uh uh brought up I literature. think his point
0: is tr- traditionally men got less ego invested in you know the type of culture they were in. Right? They weren't. They weren't largely raised to be you know be a company man or you know just just be this particular role that society is is carving you out to be. I think traditionally that was a lot less so. And I think with you know the uh, we we can get into the politics all day and say well what happened with the war. Uh, particularly World War II where everybody had to go do the same thing. And it was all uniform structure. Um, what came off of that? Right. You had this, the sexual revolution coming off of that and then it, feminism and they it, it yeah, took it from let's,
2: there. Let's talk about the sexual revolution. Right. So I think what's interesting. So first you have World War II, right. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this book um, system of objects by Baudrillard. Um, and it talks about a consumer revolution. Um, and so, so first you have World War II and they have a tremendous industrial capacity, right? They don't know what to do with it. Um, and then they start creating these consumer goods. And then, so the factories, that made tanks, right? Make washing machines and dryers, right? And so, I, I don't know if you think back to your parents' household, you know, that household completely changes with, you know, what happens in there. And the sexual revolution coincides with that consumer revolution because the woman now has to, you know, be, given enough agency to buy things right if the man controls her then why is she going to buy all this stuff makes no sense and then mm-hmm. you know the other thing is you know by bringing women into the labor pool right we can um we can lower the cost of labor right and then oh, once yeah the cost of labor um that that's the end of male authority mm-hmm. so it you know i there's a lot of this kind of like bourgeois larping of like oh i'm the man of the house this that and the other thing Fundamentally, it's going to come down to who brings, who has the money, you know, and, and, you know, that kind of, uh, it's going to come down to economics in that household, right? Hmm. Economics, but then two, there's going to be legal games, which is,
1: you know, a complete horror show. I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole here. Um, I like what you just touched on a second ago, where I think that's a major component that a lot of people forget about, is that with the advent of women's lib and women mainly entering the workforce, we effectively doubled the available pool of labor. And anybody that's even casually familiar with supply and demand, this should be blatantly obvious what happens to wages when you double the amount of pool of labor. Wages mm-hmm. go down or they stagnate, which they've done over the last 40 something years. So,
2: right. And so, and so there goes all your male authority, right? So, you know, if you look at, I don't know, Madman as an example, right? Um, I forgot the name of the main character. He can come in and say, I'm the man of Don the Draper. Yeah. Yep. And put, put his hands on his waist and give that talk. Right. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you're making 50, 50, you know, that, that
0: talk becomes a joke. Ain't um, happening. Yeah.
1: This goes back um, to the old blog post. Feminism's terrible wonder where women that are, that want to be traditionally minded. Uh, that's fine. Do that. If you're going to go out and get the education, get the job, do that after you've gotten the relationship, after you've had your kids 18 to 22, 18 to 24, then go out and do that stuff. Because if you start and try and pencil in having this traditional lifestyle later on after 30, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of women have a really, really bad time, right? And
2: then, yeah, I don't know, at some point, the man is, is going to have to figure out a way how to respectfully reach out to women and address their problems on their terms. You know, one... But the issue becomes, okay, you know, we need to keep our autists away from women. Mm-hmm. The two mix, it becomes the slimy goop and no one learns anything, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, you know, how do you help women without, you know, perving on them and impeding on their interests, right? You know, mm-hmm. I worked as a personal trainer for a long time, you know, and you know, women would come to me and they'd say, okay, I just divorced my husband. I want to sleep with a bunch of men. They're like, okay, well, let me get your butt bigger. Right? Or, yeah. Uh, You know, so so for me, like, you know, the majority of my youth, uh, maybe I should have said this in the beginning of the call of my red pill awareness. I worked as a personal trainer, getting women's Mm -hmm. butts bigger. Um, That's my main clientele. And so they would just tell me how everything worked and um, I know I got them in shape and, you know, that was good. But, um, you know, like how, how do you help a woman on her own terms without, uh, you know, you know, pushing forward your own biases there because at the end of the day, she's going to do whatever. And the the other thing is,
0: you know, well, how do you lead anyone? That's, that's largely, you know, how do you raise children? How do you lead a person? Um, I think there are ways to do that. Right. It's not about, it's not about completely obliterating it. Like you said, you know, on their own terms, how do we get them to where they need to go? with understanding what they are and what I'll never understand. And you touched on this really well in a, a lot of your recent uh, posts, what what you touched on really well is you know, don't, don't be angry. Anger at women is completely misplaced. Um, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that here. I mean, like,
2: I don't believe in female agency. You know what I'm saying? So I think <laughs> they, can into, they can be drawn into whatever really quickly and they don't know why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know with this whole blm thing i thought that was very interesting you know i'm not going to comment politically on the movement but it was interesting how quickly they all jumped onto that that bandwagon and then jumped off of it um or we can talk about the tiktok nurse so
1: um you know one one thing's that yeah well there was one thing we didn't really get to touch on was the social classes that is kind of integral to uh your writings because you you touch on this a lot you kind of already spoke about it just for a uh, split second with the uh the bougie kind of stuff okay. was there anything you wanted to kind of like uh dive into there okay i mean uh one of the things that i noticed on the red pill um
2: is okay so when i went to high school in california um there were three basically social classes right the lowest one were you know children of mar- migrant farm workers right and maybe the urban poor let's just phrase it that way um you know they couldn't finish algebra next there were heritage whites you know their parents were um Contractors that put down tile, they did stuff like that, and then all the honors AP kids in California, which I was part of, there were children, uh, there were either immigrants or children of immigrants, and they went to uh, AP classes and stuff, right? Hmm. So within the red pill, there is a, a racial cultural divide um, where you know I feel like you guys with your Discord, you take you know the majority of the heritage Americans, and then I take the majority of the uh, immigrants, and so there's there's that divide. You know, America is a very fragmented country. And depending on who you hang out with, you see a different America. That's fair.
0: Well, yeah. I can say, you know, speak, let me speak for both of us here. Uh, we'd, we'd love to have you on the discord for sure. I think that this conversation is going to open my eyes to, to some of the stuff that you can bring in terms of philosophy. And I think that's where the interesting stuff is actually, when it comes to uh, The the end game, you know, there's been some posts on recently on what, what is the red pill about? What is, what's the whole point of this? And it's, it's getting that freedom to be able to do the things that you want to go do. Right. Well, I mean, I have a much broader vision, you know, so
2: what I want to do. um, So I have my own telegram. It's called the like from ascending. Um, And I also have my uh, private form and, you know, my goal is to give young men a university education. So, you know, a lot of young men, they don't have that uh, opportunity. And I have a team, you know, mostly of grad students and, uh, you know, underemployed lawyers. And the goal is to give those uh, uh, kids a, a written and uh, a reading fluency and a writing fluency at a graduate level so that we can have a pool of writers to push in this culture war.
1: And at that right there, the culture war, that's the way I see this entire thing that we're talking about right now with the manosphere. It really is a cultural revolution, whether people realize it or not. We have changed the game in some way, shape, or form. And I think we are making things better incrementally, not just for the severe autists who can't even approach somebody and say, you know, ask for the time, but we're giving guys the tools to navigate the entirely changed uh, dating paradigm. The, the The whole sexual marketplace has really been upended in the last, well, in the first uh, Ten years of the twenty of the two thousands, where all this stuff was kind of born, and then it changed again since two thousand to today. Um, okay, but not just
0: the sexual landscape, to to his point, the cultural and the economic landscape as well. I mean, we're trying to help yeah. them navigate that.
1: Let's talk about
2: um, okay. So there's the Great Awakening. Have you guys covered that one before?
1: I'm looking at the changing. Uh, what's it called? The Great Replace? Not the Great The Replacement. It's the Great uh, Reset. That's what it is. The Great Reset. We okay, started to so, talk about that earlier. Okay,
2: great resets, you know, some healthscape that's going to be happening in 2020. Great, great awakening is in about 2012. There was a large cultural shift that took place, where mm-hmm. um, American white women shifted to the left of African American women, on average. Mm-hmm. Well, well, liberal American women, liberal white American women shifted to the left of African American women, right. And so um, that's, that's a major cultural shift, right? And then, you know, the Red Pill is a response to that. Uh, you know, there's movies
1: like 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? Which are untenable to today's audiences. I know. Oh, we they, talked I about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just did a watch party of that. And that's one of the things we commented. It's like, there's a lot of these movies from the early 2010s that you can't make today. And yeah, not that long ago. It's, exactly. Right? It's, it's not that, it's Completely per, fairly recent. Yeah. Right. So it's the great yeah. awakening though. It's, it kind of, the way you just described it Remind me, reminded me of the original suffragettes where it was largely middle class and upper middle class and above uh, women, because the ones that were the poor and the working class, they ain't got time for that shit. These are uh, problems for those who have a lot of free time on their hand. So those that were back then prior to uh, vacuum cleaners and washing machines and all that who still had to do all the housekeeping on their, on their own terms via their own physical labor. They didn't have time to yeah. do this stuff. It was with the advent of a
0: manufactured, manufactured right. hardship is what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Well, it was largely the feminism that we have today is a side effect of the industrial revolution. Well, okay. It well, let's, let's point fingers though. Yeah.
2: You know, let, let's, let's blame people. So, okay, if you look at, you know, today, and if you look at this SJW feminism, it's completely created by the universities, right? So, so, I mean, you know, they were indoctrinated by the state through taxpayer money, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, on one hand, you have a counter reaction, which we're part of, you know, I sat through those classes, um, and I, you know, I argued with my professors tooth and nail, (laughs) and I have the GPA to show for it, um. And then the other side is, you know, the <laughs> women who took it hook, line, and sinker, one. And then the other thing is, you know, since the U.S. is a country of immigrants, right, and maybe those immigrants don't have the same context, uh, they're also going to get uh, absorbed that narrative, and then later they'll be weaponized against, uh, I know, people who have deeper roots in America. So, you know, I, I know a lot of, I know traditionally in the manosphere women get blamed a lot, but uh, this was implemented deliberately by the state, um, you know, and this potential color revolution we might see in the next couple of weeks, you know, has been planted way back, you know, in oh, the yeah. textbook.
1: Yeah. Thomas Sobo had a really good video from 1990 where he talked about all this, where he saw it coming, you know, 30 years ago. It's like, look, this shit is not good. It's cultural Marxism, plain and simple. It's baked into the school system. And this is in 1990. He was warning people of what was to come. No one listed, listened. And now here we are 30 years later and all this shit has come home to roost.
2: You know, what I'll tell you. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a mess. But I'll
2: tell you, you know, use terms like cultural Marxism. You know, uh, when, I just recommend just read Marx, you know, go through and read the left. I feel like I'm the only one in the manosphere who does it and who teaches those books. Um, yeah probably you know You're probably exactly.
1: right. yeah so um well it's interesting too if people on the left actually read what he wrote they may not be so enamored with some of the stuff he had to say he was very mm-hmm. pro-gun for example uh yeah very pro-murder well, for the too. but that's black. a whole other story
2: right so i mean you know you'll see like let's say black panthers you know who are a gun right so but like i, I guess uh there's louis south right and he talks about uh, these ideological state apparatuses and how it's important to, uh, you know, take control of them, right? Because capitalism can only continue if people maintain their capitalist mindset. But if you, uh, you know, pull the culture out from under it, it'll mm-hmm. stop. So yeah, that's um, it's called reproduction of capitalism.
1: That's I feel like that's where we're kind of trending towards right now with this whole stuff with the alt left trying to like attack capitalism as if it's some sort of evil when we can debate the goods and the bad of it, you know, being unchecked, but it's lifted. capitalism's lifted more people out of poverty than anything else in human history. So so, they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater when they attack it like that.
2: You know, if, when you look at those leftists, right, they've never read Marx. So, um, you know, they're, they're state and corporate sponsored leftists. You can argue that they're fascists because they're corporate-sponsored, right? Hmm. But you know, that that whole thing—they um, don't have a coherent ideology, they're, and I don't think they have agency either. So, <laughs> um, you know, are they real Marxists? You know, that's an interesting argument. And um, uh, have you heard of uh, Verso or uh, Zero? I just want to make
0: sure. You, I just want to make sure I understand. When you say are they real Marxists, who you mean exactly? Antifa. Are they real Marxists? You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, those types. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 gotcha. But,
0: so,
2: okay, so there's uh, zero Books, and there's, uh, you know, I, I know some people from Zero Books, and they they are a Marxist publisher. And there's, you know, amongst Zero Books, there's there's a debate of whether Antifa are real Marxists. So there's a debate there. Um, I know, I guess one of my strengths is uh, I'm really good at meeting people on the Internet. So uh, I know the people <laughs> from uh, Arctos who are uh, – let's say dissident, right? And I know uh, zero books and maybe I'll, the the other publisher, hopefully I'll meet them one day is Verso um, and they're a Marxist publisher too. So, um, you know, I just say like, be careful with those terms and, uh, you know, go through, uh, do your reading uh, because out of that reading, you know, we can come up with new strategies. Um, And one of the things I want to talk to you about is uh, I ran the Donald in his heyday in 2016.
1: That was one of the things I wanted to talk about right there, and a nice kind of like uh kind of way to segue to that is kind of just go back for one second. The uh one way to kind of deal with this is through memes, and you see these faux Marxists complaining about capitalism using their $300 or $600 cell phone or iPhone with their little Starbucks latte in one hand and their gap shirts. And you know, you can't make this stuff
2: up from a Marxist standpoint because you know. when you look at Lenin, Lenin will say that, um, you know, the capitalists will sell us the rope to hang them by.
0: Mm.
2: Right. Mm. So, you know, a, a Marxist has no problem using the structures of capitalism to negate capitalism. You know, I mean, you know, my, you know, my grandfather uh, was an officer uh, in the Soviet union and he was at Stalin's funeral. So, you know, I, you know, I have a mm. uh, close proximity to some of this doctrine. Um, so it, you know you'll see negation of negation there's a lot of interesting things going on in there um and you know i I highly recommend you you'll read it or maybe we can read it together uh it's just from an academic standpoint it's a lot of fun um but um we started to talk about
1: the donald that that was really interesting to me
2: yeah so um within the donald you know, there's different ways of running a culture war, right? And so if you look at slash conservative, um, they wanna be the good guys, right? Whereas um, what I direct my team to do, uh, you know, Antonio Gramsci is an Italian Marxist and we we ran an Antonio Gramsci game. That's why we won. And it was a complete, it was just a complete cultural propaganda war. Um, And, um, you know, memes just make it fun, make it interesting. Um, you know, there's people who, you know, uh, they want an identity, they want to wear a hat. I think we provided that later on what happened though, was we started getting attacked by uh, correct, the record, which is, uh, like, a, a Democrat super PAC mm-hmm. and they, they had a, a troll farm and there's this list of ways of, to break up a, uh, a subreddit through control. Uh,
1: what is it through concern trolling? right
0: mm.
1: and so um uh I like a just new chapter in the uh the Sololinsky kind of way of attacking things yeah yeah that's that's what they do right yeah um and so we were just
2: identified and ban them mm. and um you know their games. But that's a scale out. problem right that's a scale problem yeah but you know within the mod team of the donald you know there were a lot of you know, people in the u.s military who uh weren't interested in a Marxist takeover. So, um, and, and people in the military, a lot of time have a lot of free time. Oh, so yeah. uh, we had a mod, very motivated mod team. And then at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they they pulled one of their leftist false flags and banned the Donald. So I think that's how the whole thing ended. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you guys have seen my TV appearance. Uh, my no. Uh, I <laughs> called Samantha <laughs> Beale. Oh whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, yeah, you broke funny. up there one
2: second. Did you say what I think you just said? Yep. Yeah, so, so uh um, wow. you know my crowning achievement in this whole red pill career you know i you know I started just to uh, uh give myself the ability to become a, a good writer for men um but um <laughs> when I ran the Donald Samantha B invited us to our show and we had uh, an, a colorful exchange you can look it up it's called Samantha B Trump supporters okay and, and I called mm-hmm. it a whore and it it worked out pretty well for me so I was
1: you know, twenty five at the time, so it was really like life affirming. <laughs> I, I do want to kind of back the trend of tracks here just a little bit ago, uh, because we were talking about the uh, the awakening of twenty twelve. One of the okay. other things you started to talk about was the reset. Okay, uh, what did you want to? So you mentioned it. I kind of just want to kind of cover it briefly for the viewers. What oh, is? Okay. Uh, what are we waiting on here? What's what's going to happen soon? Twenty twenty five. Okay, so there's there we're going to have a new Bretton Woods
2: moment. Um, we're going to move off of the dollar reserve currency and they want to push a Fed coin. They want to pull, push a global digital currency.
0: But not and Bitcoin?
2: Then, no, it's, it's a Fed coin. Something they control. So that they control it. And then that you would have a, a wallet tied to you forever. And mm. then from there, they can add and subtract money from your bank account at will. You know, PayPal already kind of does it. They can shut you out of your bank account if they want to, Yeah. right? Or you—you you saw, you know, there's there's a web deplatforming, right? But there is also a financial deplatforming.
1: Oh, we've seen it. People are getting their right. uh, credit cards taken away, their bank accounts canceled. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah. So, so
2: you know, that's a test run, and mm. so. Once they'll pull you into a Fed coin and then they'll just pull money from your account or uh, they can add money to your account, right? So all of this whole, um, I know like hard work uh, ethic where the harder you work or the more money you make or the more innovative you are, they can completely uh, clean that out with stimulus,
1: right? So this is a reason to stick to a Bitcoin kind of standard and- Kathy uh, Wood, her team over at ARK Invest, they've talked about this. We've talked about this as well, where I think, and it's not just them. Other countries are already migrating to a Bitcoin style of uh, monetary system because you own the wealth. Whatever you have in your, in your own wallet, they can't take away. So it's, I, I see there's a lot of, there's parallels to this, but I think in terms of which one is gonna win out, it would make more sense to go with a uh, deregulated, distributed system like Bitcoin, that the government can't get their hands into, can't you know, and steal your wealth, like you were just saying. Yeah, I, I, I
0: don't think centralization is going to be the. I, 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 think it's it's kind of too large to work. Almost, I think there always will be uh, people that kind of opt out of the system, right? Hmm. I,
2: I, I guess what I'll tell you is okay. So there's this uh, PDF, right? It's called Rockefeller Lockstep, like 2010. Uh, maybe you can attach it. And effectively, they uh, discuss the, the pandemics and why they're necessary, mm-hmm. right, in the year t- mm-hmm. 2010. And um, the, there's this guy, uh, uh, Bataille, and he it's called The Accursed Share, and he talks about surplus, right? So one of the big issues of Marx is he doesn't talk about gifts and surplus. And so the, the way I describe Bataille, it, you know, very very quickly is let's say you have a lemon tree outside. Right. And this lemon tree starts producing way too many lemons for you to harvest. So there's a surplus. And so this surplus will start attracting rats. Right. And then those rats will then disrupt your house. Right. So any surplus to the system can potentially disrupt the system. Right. So the main disruptive surpluses are one population. Right. So let's say uh, everyone here has four kids. Right in a generation, they would overthrow the government, right? Um, You could look at Romania in the 1960s, they banned abortion. And then by the 80s, they overthrew the government because there was a swelling of youth, right? Next, we could talk about a surplus of money, right? So if the middle class gets too much money, uh, they can overthrow the government like they did in the French Revolution. And then finally, Mm -hmm. if there's too much technology, you can start contesting uh, establishment power structures, right? Um, you know, I think that's should, what we're seeing right now with Facebook, Twitter, and, and so forth. Well, well, so the issue is if you know, if you have too much population, money, or technology in the hands of the middle class, they can uh, contest the ruling elite. So the goal mm-hmm. of the lockstep scenario or all of this, uh, I, I don't know, economic slowing is to prevent that, that surplus. So you can never hit a critical mass, um, I don't know, it's a democratic revolution or or to install, I don't know, a different kind of
1: government. Well, we just kind of saw this. What you were just talking about before, with uh, the main culture and being able to share information through the Donald, was an example of that. Where you took the tools available to the middle class that didn't exist generations prior, and you fought the uh, the entrenched, you know, the swamp, so to speak, at their own game.
2: Right, and the so the issue is, you know, if if you're an anti-establishment player, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certain tactics will work until they don't. So So one (laughs) one of the the reasons why I push reading is because it's very important for us to come up with new tactics so we can switch through them once they stop working. Like, if we look at the red Mm -hmm. pill, right, um, you know, the red pill has been neutered by quarantine and, you know, there's uh, kind of a lot of intellectual dead weight where if you, you know, if you put forward um, a strong article, I I co-wrote an article with, it is written on partying, just, you know, mm-hmm. throwing a party and everyone was very upset about it. for some Great reason. article, so, solid article. So, um, um, or, you know, I wrote an article in January predicting the government response to the coronavirus and they were really upset at me for some reason. again. Yeah. So, you know, that red, that Reddit model might be dead and it might be time for a private forum like I have or a discord or a telegram, you know, so, and, and we're going to have to keep moving. Uh, we're going to have to keep being mobile because as big tech
1: catches on, uh, we're just going to have to move into the next structure. That's why I like what uh, we've been talking about with TRP Red. You've got, uh, uh, what's the other one? There's locals.com. There's Matrix. There's a lot of options out there. There's some new technological ones that are uh, kind of immune to being shut down by, a, uh, by like a terms of service violation where you own the actual content that's contained therein and there's no way they can, they can fuck with you. That I think is where we're going to see, it. kind of like with, like I said, the, the deregulated, decentralized uh, platforms are the way of the future. There's always going to be these these entrenched uh, uh, legacy media, like we see, like right, how social media displaced uh, uh, news organizations, news organizations online displaced print media, cars displaced the you know the horse and buggy. It's always this ever growing, uh, this ever progressing chain of events it's going to displace the the legacy stuff it's just, it's just the nature of the beast eventually there is going to be a decentralized deregulated money uh, social media platforms uh, streaming services all of this is going to just break the game that these other you know the the Zuckerbergs the uh, what's his name in charge of uh, Twitter
0: well that stuff's already out there right so it's, they are there are
1: but they're There are not, a ton of
0: decentralized platforms, but they're not in the mainstream. And once the they mainstream. do become mainstream, yeah. that's what GLO is talking about here is once they do hit yeah. the mainstream and the middle class can use them, then some interesting history happens for sure.
1: That's what I'm talking about as well. And that's, I would love to go to like the matrix or <laughs> to the matrix, go to, <laughs> ma- yeah, that system or uh, what was the one that, uh, what's his name? RPS was talking about over on the trp.red, the uh, something, most. There's a, you could do something like that. There's a lot of options out there.
0: There's always going to be something to move to is your point. Right.
1: But my point though, is like what uh, GLO was just saying right now, they're not ready for prime time in a few years, a few decades, when this stuff is ready for prime time, the world as we know it is going to change and it's not going back where the people are going to have the power for communications and monetary uh, control that no one's ever seen before in history. So what's that going to look like for society? I don't know. But this whole bullshit with social media censoring and shutting down discussions that they don't like because their guy might not get elected. That's all going to go away. So,
0: well, you'd hope you would hope. Otherwise the, look, the alternative is 1984, but um, what, one of the things that ties this ties into you know, that I'd like to throw to GLO is how I, I'd love your take on the guys that were on the red pill, that kind of said what they had to say, you know, they, they were a big voice for a long time and then they just kind of vanished and rode off into the sunset. Where are those large voices? Cause you know, as a newcomer myself, I haven't been around that long. Uh, I haven't read every GLO post Um, you know, but clearly there's an impact in your loud voice there. What about these guys that, that have something meaningful to say and they just move on and where does that kind of that tribal knowledge and that, that leadership go right. How do we solve for that? Well, so, so in 2013
2: up to 2015, right, there's a huge culture war, right? So um, I would write an article and uh, I had two PhD papers written about me, you know, and so there was a strong appeal where if you wrote an offensive enough article, the media would acknowledge you and you could show people like, hey, the economist thinks I'm the worst person in the world. You know, that, that was mm. that was sexy um <laughs> so, so a lot of people came for that you know i um you know there's yeah. papers that say gay Lou Boyle and like like this guy had to write gay Lou boyle in his phd dissertation.
0: <laughs> that's right? next level trolling and then
2: he has to explain why a person <laughs> with a username gay Lou boyle is in charge of this manosphere <laughs> which is allegedly homophobic and, 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 and he has paragraphs like explaining this and like, it's all stupid because the username is stupid on purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. So like for me, that's a treat. But, yeah, God. <laughs> so um, some meta level trolling right there. Yeah. Right. Like, and like this, like university of Toronto and stuff like that, like uh, PhD in communication, something. But so a lot of people came for that. Um, and then that dried up and the incentive isn't there. You know, now, you know, either you want to write for men, uh, either you have some kind of monetization game. But it's, it's not the same where you could, you know, you could write. Um, you know, what I would do is I, I used to go to the gym like super late. You know, I'd go to the gym like at midnight uh, on a very powerful pre-workout. It was called Craze. It had like an amphetamine uh, analog in it. So I was just wired. I couldn't sleep. <sighs> yeah. I'd, I'd write like a fucked up article. And then I'd wake up and then, you know, the blue pill would write about me. And then a week later, you know, maybe someone like Simeon Ying would write about me, right? And that was a huge high because I get high off of antagonizing people, but you know, that's just not there anymore. So until you can recreate that incentive structure, you're not going to get it. But then the other issues, is things are getting really hot. So the question is, do you want to be targeted by the economist? You know, yeah. do you want that uh, heat? Right. Right. You know, one of the appeals of not living in the United States is, you know, they have to come find me. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, I, I think it was a one shot opportunity, you know, and
0: uh, sorry, you missed it. I guess, you know, should have, should have come earlier. No, I, that, that, no, fine with me as a guy with the wife and a kid. That's fine with me. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not out there to get picked up by the, the Atlantic. So, so where does that take us? Is my question, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, where does that take us in the and particularly with respect to, you know, tonight, tonight's election night here in the U S um, what do you see happening as a result of the next couple of years of where we culturally we're going to be going and not just in the United States, but um, we are, we are more of a global culture than ever. Where do you see that going?
2: Yeah, I'm really worried for the United States, right? Because if, if, the U.S. comes off of uh, uh, what is this dollar reserve currency, right? Then um, there's going to be less goods flowing into the United States and the standard of living is going to drop. So, you know, as someone who uh, emigrated from the Soviet Union, I would say if your prognosis is the same as mine, you should leave earlier because the sooner you leave, the the better you're going to be set up in this country. So the Russians that left Russia in the 1970s um,
0: did a lot better than the Russians that left yeah. the 90s so same with the Iranian revolution, buying, a lot of, a lot of the folks that left early really did a lot better.
2: So, so if you think it's bad, you know, you should leave early while your dollar still has buying power and you can buy yourself a nice house because mm-hmm. you know, the way they're, I think what, one in $5 was printed in the year 2020. Like they're really printing those dollars. So, uh, you know, may, maybe it's time to, uh, you know, be bearish on that dollar and, you know, put it into something before it loses all of its value, you know, like Shit. property.
1: Well, yeah, property is going to be a good one in a few years. We're about to see another housing bust. That's what they're calling for for the next year or two. Yeah. Um, right now I would profess cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is a big one. It's a great store of value. It's a good hedge against uh, inflation, much of the same way gold is, but we're seeing a lot more demand for it, especially from uh, institutional investors. And I can link this stuff down below, but it, I don't want to get into that rabbit hole too much. But the main thing is, is it's not confiscatable wealth. Not the way, you, know, you can't have your uh, accounts rated as long as you maintain your private key and you keep it in, a, uh, in your own, uh, uh, what, do they call, what do they call it? The, uh, the crypto wallet. Crypto wallet. Yeah, make sure you got it in a, uh, in a crypto wallet, whether it's hardware, software, I don't care. But you don't want to keep it on Coinbase where the Fed can come in and take it if they need to. I'm not saying do anything you know illegal, but it's just something to think about. Like we were talking about before, where wealth can very easily be confiscated unless it's in a deregulated, uh, distributed form that they can't get their hands on. So that's something to think about, and that's but going to be one of the use case cases for it over the coming decades. That's why know, it's going to go up so much. Passport. Say again. You know,
2: invest in another passport. You know, I'm sure you guys have some kind of ancestry, like Hungarian or something, where you oh, can. Yeah from another country um just you know like like right now like traveling with this u.s passport you know a lot of countries uh you know it's it's not as good of a passport as it was before so Mm -hmm. uh, or like let's say things get really bad and you want to renounce well you already have that other passport you know to get another passport is going to take some time so maybe it's something to start on right now um you know I, i i don't want to be all doom and gloom but
0: so these are very real contingencies to consider in the event where society collapses, right?
2: Uh, you know, if if I was saying, you know, I was saying some of this stuff two years ago and I looked batshit crazy. Um, and even January, I looked crazy, but- Not
0: know, so crazy now, now.
2: Not so crazy now. And, you know, on a personal level, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, let's say the most out there guy and all of your predictions come true, you know, you don't really know you know, it's like you're saying, you know, uh, like the world is going to end, and then it actually starts ending. Like,
0: like who what are you? Just say you, know, you have an existential crisis there. Yeah. What does that say for the normies too?
1: Well, everybody right? laughed at the preppers until the preppers were like, "Holy shit, maybe they were it on this one." You know, it's you only got to be right once for it to really kind of click. And we saw a yeah. lot of this with like anti-gunners, and then when the shit fan back in March, like I had family who were anti-gun, went out and bought their first gun. So. Yeah. It didn't look so crazy once like, okay, society's kind of collapsing. Speaking of collapsing is the sun behind Mike. We're going to to wrap yeah. this up here shortly. <laughs> uh, so really quickly, like what is your, your takeaway message for people that are watching this? Like besides, well, first off, how do they find you? Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit ago and then also what's like your, your, your parting message, what takeaway message do you want people to get from this video? Okay. Um,
2: well, first, uh, first, let me show my stuff. So first I have uh, the Ascetus <laughs> telegram. Um, I have my Ascetus uh, YouTube channel hmm. and then I have ascetus.com. Um, I, I, you know it's a new site. We have um, articles uh, uh, both written by lawyers. So um, so if you want to contact me, uh, check out Ascetus and that's done uh, by me and my writing team.
0: And we'll go ahead and link so, those in the description. I, I think, I think the, the takeaway well. message...
2: Is, yep. um, I think the takeaway is, you know, we're in for a protracted culture war. We need to train our culture war soldiers. We need to to get them to read. It's a culture war. Uh, it's not not a physical war that I, any of us are pushing. And, you know, we need enough writers to push. You know, as you saw in the Red Pen, a lot of those writers left. We need to create new writers uh, through... Mm-hmm through reading and writing. And that's what I'm doing, uh, you know, in my own private forums. Um, And then, you know, in exchange, we can give these kids a a good university level education for a much lower price. So, you know, I'm working on that. Uh, The other thing is, you know, we need to start having these serious conversations. We can't just, you know, go run around yelling hypergamy and blaming women and having, let's say, uh, simplistic reactionary response. You know, that was cute Mm -hmm. in 2010, but things are a lot worse now. And we need to be a lot more mature about this.
1: All right. Um, we do have one, uh, we have a surprise visitor here. I'm gonna bring him in. Let's see who this is. Hello. You are on with us right now. Hey, what's up boys? Hey, let's see who it is. Look who it is. Uh-oh. I, I,
0: I love that it is written cameo.
1: There we go. Got him in there. That's incredible.
0: That is incredible. Yeah. What have you guys Absolutely been talking excited. about?
1: Surprise guest. What
0: have uh, you guys been, been talking about? We've been talking about Alpha Pussy Slayer 9000. That's what we've been talking about. Come on, Mike. And how how to, how to be him. How to be him. No, we've,
1: we've been talking we, about uh, some
0: really good stuff.
1: We actually had just gotten to, to the end of the interview. Uh, is there any questions you have for uh, Giolo? Uh,
0: I I would say... I actually have a statement rather than a question, but Uh-oh. it's something that GLO taught me and I really, I really appreciate it because of him, which is that when you treat someone who's, who is your equal as an equal, then you have a level of conversation that's so above anything else that you've ever had. And GLO and I have always had this kind of discourse despite our drastically different views.
1: And he's the one who taught me that. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good one to end on right there. If you guys want to hang out till afterwards, we can go ahead and, uh, kind of BS a little bit, but yeah, again, I don't really think we did a call to action. So if you liked this content, like subscribe, hit the notification bar, uh, please go check out GLO on his stuff. We're gonna have the descriptions down below. If you're listening to this, listening to this on the podcast, anchor.fm, uh, the red pill, I think one is the URL. Hopefully it'll be in the description for this podcast as well. So I think we're going to leave it there. We also have the private community. Come on over. Link also in the description. All right. Yep. Thank you all for for joining us.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, GLO. Really enjoyed the time and the discussion, man. Well, Hope to have you on again.